It's toppy. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, church family is such a joy. I just think I feel so kind of elevated by the faith-filled time of worshiping God together. <laughs> we were laughing our heads off over in our corner at the kids' church video, and mostly because it was Scott's boy on there. <laughs> and I just think it's, it's just, a, you know, just, it's great to be together as family. It's encouraging. Uh, I hope you feel encouraged this morning. And um, my contribution today is I'm going to do uh, a little bit of looking at the Bible together. That's really important as part of gathering as church family as well. And we're doing this uh, series where we're looking at Daniel. And so today we're going to be in um, uh, Daniel chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible or you've got an app on your phone, let's get Daniel chapter 4 out in front of us. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter today, but I'm going to tell some of the story and then uh, look at five things that we can learn, five things that this story would be speaking to us today. But before we get there, I just want to share a story with you. Uh, some of you will know I'm involved in uh, different parts of the Middle East uh, in terms of uh, our church family and helping churches, encouraging leaders. And I heard a really encouraging story this week. You know, God is doing some extraordinary things, particularly amongst people of a Muslim background. And um, some friends of mine in a Middle Eastern country uh, sat down recently to do a Bible study with a group of Muslim women, so older Muslim women who wanted to read the Bible with them. And my friend said, we just felt led to do the story of um, the, the lost sheep, and then the good shepherd goes, finds the sheep, puts them on his shoulders, and brings the sheep home. And as they're telling this story, one of the old ladies in the room, she goes, that's my story, that's my story. And my friend says, what do you mean, my sister? What, what do you mean? And she says, that good shepherd, I met him a couple of weeks ago, exactly two weeks ago. And they said, can you, can you please explain? Like, what is your story? So she says, she was coming out of her country as a refugee because uh, the war situation had got really bad. And um, they paid a people smuggler to drive them to the border and then walk them over the mountains and so they drove to the border, but when it came to walking over the mountains at night, the people smuggler looked at her and she said, I'm sorry, you're too old. She's there with her walking stick. He said, you're not going to make it. You're going to slow us all down and we'll probably get caught. Uh, so we're going to have to leave you behind. I'm sorry, we can't take you. And she's like, no, but I can't. I've lost everything. My whole family's dead. I can't go home. Please, you have to take me. And the people smuggler said, I'm sorry, we can't take you. You're going to slow us all down. You can't climb over these mountains. And she said, at that moment, a young man stepped up to her and he said to her, don't worry, I will carry you over the mountains. And she said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. And he picked her up and he carried her all night long over the mountains to the other side. And when they got there, she said, how can I ever thank you? I don't even know your name. How can I find you and thank you? Because I don't have anything. I'm a poor old lady. And he said to her, my name is Isa, which in Arabic is Jesus. And he said, you don't need to come and find me and thank me. But in exactly two weeks, my followers will find you and they will give you a gift, and you need to accept it. And she said, and so here I am two weeks later, and you're telling me that the good shepherd who carried me is Jesus, and I was the lost sheep. Wow. And you just think, God is doing extraordinary things, friends. He can meet people where they are, 
He can step into their lives and he can show himself to them. And if you're here today and you're saying, God, please show yourself to me, he can do that. He wants to do that. He loves to do that. Amen? So let's get into this uh, story together. I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at the story of Daniel chapter 4. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for church family. I thank you so much for your presence here. Come, Holy Spirit. Open, open us up today, God. Open us up. Open our ears, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Open our hearts so that it goes home inside us. We sit together under your word and under your authority today, and we say, come and have your way. Do what you want to do. Holy Spirit, even now, do what you want to do in our lives, because your plan is better than our plan. It's your glory, God, your kingdom, please. Amen. Amen. So, Daniel chapter 4. King Nebu had a nightmare. If he was from Essex, he might have been King Nobby had a nightmare. And that's our story today. And he woke up in the middle of the night. He's the most powerful man on the planet. His empire is the biggest empire of the time. But he wakes up in the night sweating and screaming like a little baby. He's terrified by what he's seen. And he calls all of his wizards and his magicians, and his astrologers, and his wise men, and his sorcerers, and his learned people, and they all come, and he says to them, can someone please explain my nightmare? And they all try and give answers, oh king, it means this, and he doesn't accept any of them. You know when something rings true, or it doesn't, and he just thinks, this is all superficial, they're flattering me, it's not real. And then last of all, comes our hero, Daniel the outsider, the foreigner, the overlooked, the refugee, the exile guy. He comes last. Do you ever get invited last to stuff? Picked last for the football team in the school playground? But what we're going to see in this story is a proud, powerful king gets spoken to by the guy that gets picked last, Daniel. Everyone else has failed to interpret. Daniel comes and he says, yes, O king, I can interpret this dream for you. And um, this is the dream. The king sees a huge tree reaching up from earth to heaven and visible to the ends of the earth. And this tree, it's like an ecosystem all in itself. It's got different creatures living in it, animals under its shade, sheltering thousands, if not millions, of lives. And then a heavenly being comes down from heaven and says, chop down the tree and chop it up into firewood, get out your heavenly chainsaws, burn it all, but leave a stump to remain. And I'm just going to read a few verses now from verse 15, so Daniel 4 and verse 15. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. And let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time, seven years, pass over him. 
This sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, that's Daniel's uh, Babylonian name, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel takes a deep breath. All the guys that have tried to give interpretations and failed are all standing watching. All the court reporters are there. Everyone's watching and gathered. He summons his gift of dream interpretation that God's given him. He summons his courage and his wisdom, and he's going to speak truth to power. And he's going to give this mighty king some bad news. And he says this, O king, if only the dream was about your enemies and not about you, because it's a bad dream. And he says, the tree is you, mighty and powerful. And God is saying, he's going to chop you down and chop you up into little pieces because you're too arrogant, you're too self-obsessed, you're too proud. And God hates pride. But this is not a total unconditional destruction. He's going to leave a little stump. And God is going to give you a chance to change your life. And now I'm just going to read from verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. You will be driven from among men. And your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be made to eat grass like an ox. It's like the worst judgment possible. You're going to become a vegetarian. <laughs> and you will be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time, seven years will pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time that you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Now he's going to give him some advice. O king, here's my ad humble advice. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel says, there's going to be a humbling of you, O king, but there's going to be an opportunity, an option for restoration. Okay? And he says, these are the conditions of that restoration. Firstly, there's going to be a period of seven years. So in other words, it doesn't really depend on you. It depends on God's sovereignty, his plan. Now, seven years in the Bible doesn't always mean a literal seven years. It's, it, seven is God's perfect number. The world was made in seven days. It's the number of holiness. And so it means God's complete amount of time. Think about it. Joseph to Pharaoh says, you're going to have seven good years and seven bad years. When Jacob's working for his wife Leah and his wife Rachel, he works seven years, seven years. It's a formulaic number. But it, what it means is God is going to do this for as long as he wants. And when that time is finished, he will restore you. Okay. He also says, until you acknowledge that God rules over the world and he gives kingdoms to whoever he wants. 
So you need to get out of your own head and think, stop thinking you're the guy and realize that he's the guy. And then he says, and you need to engage the kind of the two prongs of repentance, which are break off your sins. That's the backward thing. Stop doing bad stuff you've been doing. It's quite a violent word. Break off your sins. Don't gradually ease them out. Go cold turkey. Yeah, sometimes you think, I should stop doing this, so I'm going to sort of ease it down gradually. No, 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 no. You'll never stop. Break off your sins. Some of you need to do that today. That's the backward prong. And then the, the forward prong of repentance is, and show mercy to the oppressed. Start doing some good stuff. It's not hard, is it? Stop doing some bad stuff. Start doing some good stuff. You came to church, you expected to be told that, let's be honest. Yeah? But then he says, and perhaps God will restore you. So in all of it, there's a perhaps, there's a maybe. There's no guarantee. Why is that? Why is the perhaps there? Because God preserves the right to be God, to keep some mystery. It's about relationship. You could do all the right things and stop doing all the wrong things, but your heart is still hard. And God looks at your heart, and so there's a perhaps there, because it's not, it's not science. It's not you put your money in the vending machine and out comes the Coke, yeah? It's you put your money in the vending machine and you trust God, and if he deems that it's appropriate, then he'll give you the Coke. And so, we've had the dream. We've had Daniel's interpretation. Then nothing happens. <laughs> and Daniel's sitting there. Three months, six months, nothing happens. You can imagine all the court newspapers are slagging him off, writing bad articles about him. All the court poets are writing distracts about him. There's probably memes about him flying around on Babylonian social media. Ha <laughs> ha, you said the king was going to get chopped into little pieces and nothing's happened. You're a loser, Daniel. You're a false prophet. Because they don't like him, yeah? But then one day, after 12 months of Daniel thinking, I'm sure God spoke and nothing's happened. Have you ever been in that place? Waiting, waiting. Everyone's laughing at you. After 12 months, one day, in a moment, Nebuchadnezzar's world fell apart. And this is how it happened. He was walking along on the roof of his palace, and he looks out over his city, Babylon, that he'd built, and he goes, I am the G. Look at my amazing city that I've built. I am awesome. See what I've done. How cool am I? He's, he, these words of boasting and pride come out of his mouth. He thinks to himself, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, they say you are what you eat, but I don't remember eating a legend. <laughs> and he looks out and he says, I'm the guy. And in that moment, a voice comes down from heaven. We'll read it in verse 31. You know, whatever you say, even on your own, even on the roof of your palace, God is listening. You know that, right? Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, I am the G, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. Your kingdom has departed from you. 
And you'll be driven from among men, and your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. And you'll be made to eat grass like an ox. No, not a vegetarian. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the world was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. His hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. I mean, for me, that would be miraculous. And his nails were like bird's claws. Some people spend a lot of money to get big nails these days. He got that for free as well. So everything happened exactly as Daniel had predicted and exactly as Nebu had seen in his nightmare. How does the story end? He's out there for seven years, out in the wilderness, living under heaven. He's lost his reason. He's living a little bit like a wild animal for seven years. The most powerful man in the world. And then after seven years, he acknowledges that God is God. His reason returns to him. His counselors come out from the palace and find him and bring him back. Wash him down, give him a haircut, cut his nails. And restore him to his throne. And then he writes this letter. So Daniel chapter 4 is a letter, a royal proclamation that is written right across the kingdom... Telling what had happened, telling his testimony, and saying to everyone, you guys should fear God because he's worth fearing. Amen? That's the story. You like it? Story from the word of God. Right, what do we learn from this story? Five things. Number one, God is willing and able to humble. God is perfectly happy to intervene in people's lives and humble them for a season. Have you ever experienced that? I have. When I was first a Christian, someone brought a prophetic word over me that has shaped much of my life. They were American, and they brought it in an American accent. And so for years after that, whenever I heard God speak, it was with an American accent. It was that shaping for me. Um, But one of the things they said is, you're going to be broken and built up, broken and built up, broken and built up. And My story has definitely been a bit like that. We've had times of just massive humbling and then times when God has lifted us up again. It's almost like trees cut down, then it grows back, then it's cut down, then it's... I'm exhausted. But the Bible is very clear, friends. Pride comes before a fall. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God hates pride, self-sufficiency, arrogance. And so the question for all of us is this. In what ways are you walking in pride? In what ways are you self-sufficient? In what ways do you look in the mirror and you go, I am the guy? Our culture trains people for independence and self-sufficiency. Our culture says when your kids are 18, throw them out and tell them to look after themselves. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. In the Bible, we're supposed to be interdependent. We're supposed to ask people for help. There's something macho in our culture that's like, if I'm struggling, I shouldn't ask people for help. But pride within a church community, it doesn't work, friends. Because you end up looking down on people, judging people, going, I'm sorted and you're not. What's wrong with you? And so humility, it helps us build into each other. It helps the church family be strong and interdependent and relying on one another and relying on God. That's what we're supposed to do, amen? And so the first thing is this. God is willing and able to humble people, to intervene, to step in. He's got the right to do that. He's God. 
And he does it because of love. He does it because he wants to reshape people's lives with a humility. Look at Jesus. Jesus emerges, and what are the first things he starts teaching? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the brokenhearted. Blessed are the downcast. Blessed are those who are full of pain. That's, that's the tone that we hear in the voice of God. Don't be proud. It will it'll end up you being far from God. Humble yourself under his mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number two, second thing we learn from this story, nothing and no one is irredeemable. Now, that means you can say that to someone who's sitting next to you. Say to them, even you are not too far away from God. Tell them. Now tell them, even I am not too far away from God. You see, if this pagan king who put whole nations to the sword, who perpetrated genocide, who enslaved millions of people, if this evil guy could be redeemed and given a second chance by God, how much more you and how much more me? You see, Nebu is evil, and actually when we see him, we want justice to come to him. We want him to be chopped into little pieces. We don't really want mercy to be shown to a guy like him. But you see, tree stumps are marvelously resilient. You've got the whole future tree inside the stump. It's such a picture of hope. Everything's cut down and gone, but it can all grow back again from this stump. And friends, that is a picture of hope. And you might look at your life, and you might say, everything is gone. But there's always a stump. God always leaves a stump. He always leaves a stump. He always leaves hope. There's always the potential for rebirth. And it's a massive part of the narrative of the Bible. All the way through the Bible, you have things that are cut off, but then they grow back. You have things that are lost, and then they're found. You have people that die, and then they come back to life. Hallelujah. It's a massive dynamic in our Christian faith. There is always a stump. Look around your life. You may think, I've been burned with fire. Everything's been cut down. I guarantee somewhere under all that mess and rubble, there's a stump. And in his time, he will restore. Nothing and no one is irredeemable. You're not too far gone. Say to the person next to you, I'm not too far gone. (laughs) Amen. Number three of five, number three, the conditions for change are clear. Okay, God gives a very clear message to Nebuchadnezzar. If you're going to get restored, these are the things that need to happen. Acknowledge that I'm God and you're not. That's something that as humans we need to do quite a lot. You know, when I became a Christian, I was 17 years old. The first prayer I ever prayed on my own in my bedroom, I didn't know how to pray. I prayed, God, your plan for my life must be better than my plan for my life. Because you can see the future and I can't. So I choose your plan and not my plan. And actually, that's the kind of prayer, friends, that we need to keep praying during our lives. God, you're God. I'm not. You know what I should do after university. I don't. You know who I should marry. I don't. You know what job I should apply for. I don't. You know where I should live. I don't. You know if I should buy this new car or not. I don't. 
So we, we seek him and we trust him our whole lives under his kingship. So acknowledge that he's God, amen? But then also the two prongs of repentance. Break off your sins. Stop doing bad stuff. And show mercy to the oppressed. Start doing some good stuff. But then also there's this perfect timing thing. Also, God's perfect time, the seven years, have to pass by. And so it, it, does it depend on us or does it depend on him? Well, both. And this is a kind of a pastoral word for us. The phrase that we kept reading in the story, until seven years have passed over you. And if you're in a tough time, and if you're, you, 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 like stuff is passing over you, you've been sick, you're out of work, you've got some broken relationships, you've got some pain, the thing to do, according to these verses, is to kind of hunker down and let it pass over you and trust God. And sometimes we keep fighting and we keep trying to fix things and trying to get hold of, you know, in English we say, get a grip, don't we? Like, try and get hold of something, get some control back. And the word is no, let go and let it pass over you. And God, in his time, will do it. There's a lovely Maverick City song I've been listening to. If you're looking for me, I'm under the blood. Do you know that song? It's like, I'm just going to hide under the blood of Jesus until all this has passed by, and then I'll come out. That's what we need to do. Number four, it's kind of an obvious message of this story, but we need to say it. Kings and kingdoms belong to God. So it's a clear message of this story and of the whole book of Daniel. Kings come, kings go. Actually, God has decided who and when and where. He's in control of politics. He's in control of the nations. This is important when we pray. When you're praying, you could be praying for your nation back home where you come from. You could be praying for this nation where we live now. You could be praying and you can say, God, you decide who's in power. Please, will you remove this person and put someone? You can pray these prayers. God appoints. God removes. We come to him. It helps when you read your news feed. So when you're doom scrolling and you're just going, man, the world is horrible, falling apart and getting more and more depressed. Why don't I put my phone down? I don't know. It's just so sad. And it, actually, you can go, God, you're in control. God, you appoint. You move. You change nations. And so kings and kingdoms belong to God, number four. And then finally, number five. Nebuchadnezzar, in his dream, saw himself as a tree reaching up to heaven. He saw himself kind of as, as someone who was building a bridge between earth and heaven. He was making that connection. It, it, it reminds us, doesn't it, of earlier in the Bible, the Tower of Babel that reached up to heaven, this sign of pride and arrogance. It's the same city, Babel, Babylon, and it's the same thing going on. And, and heaven is the place of mystery, it's the place where God is, it's the place where spiritual things happen, it's the place where things start and finish. And so being a tree that goes up to heaven is like trying to be the person that channels God, be the person that has all the answers, be the person that closes the circuit between earth and heaven and makes power flow. He's, it's a massive kind of claim to uh, a totalizing system. And so God says, no, 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 I'm going to cut that down. No one, can, no one has that monopoly. No one can plug into heaven like that. And um, we all have systems or ideas that make this claim. In our culture, science would be one. 
Science kind of claims to close the circuit, answer all the questions, bring the mysteries of heaven down to earth. You know, if you get your science right, then it makes sense of everything. No, 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 I love science. I studied a BSc at King's in London. I, I, I really appreciate science, and many of you here I know are, are people of science, but you know as well as I do, it's not a totalizing system. It doesn't answer everything. It does not answer anything. For some people, it would be your view of economics or politics, and you'd say, if we got this system in play, all the problems in the world would be solved, and all the poor nations in Africa would be fed, and all the problems in England would be fixed. All we need is this politics or this economic solution. But there's no magic bullet, friends. There's no one system that, that bridges heaven to earth. There's no tree that does that apart from the tree on which our Lord Jesus died. You see, Jesus, who was fully from heaven and fully from earth, who had one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, who bridged the gap between the two. Jesus, who dies on the cross to bridge the gap between earth and heaven. Whenever we see a tree in the Bible, it reminds us of the tree on which Jesus died. He's the only one. He's the only totalizing system. He, he is the only one that offers answers to everything. You can say, oh, if only everybody knew Jesus. You can say that. There is an answer, and it's in this tree, and only in this tree. And so, friends, there's this story from Daniel chapter 4, and there's five things that we learn. And now we're gonna, the musicians are going to come. We're going to sing and respond to God. And I... The appropriate response is what Nebuchadnezzar does when he writes this letter. It's just to go, wow, God, you're awesome. You're the king of kings. All glory belongs to you. You know, as we praise him, we kind of humble ourselves. You can't, you can't praise God and still think that you're the guy. You can't. As you lift him up, it, it brings you down. And that's healthy, and that's good. And that's what we're going to do. So let's stand. We're going to... Praise him. We're going to sing to him. We're going to celebrate the king of heaven who sent his son to bridge the gap between earth and heaven to make a way for us to come into his presence, to acknowledge his lordship, and to enjoy his Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit's here, friends. So as we come and sing and worship now, let's, let's allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to soften us, to humble us, to speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit.